0: going to be starting today on an honor series and talking to you about honor. Amen. And we're going to be looking at this subject and we're going to be looking how grace works along with it. But I pray that the Lord would just open our hearts today. Father, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence in our life. Lord, we know that you've called us into a glorious kingdom and a glorious relationship with you. And Father, we just pray today as we go into the Word, we pray that the Word will become bread. It will become living water to us, Lord, feeding and nurturing our lives. Father, we know that you, you have so much for us, so much to do in our lives, and we give you the highest praise. And everyone said? Amen. 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 I want you to jump with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Wow, do we got a keyboard up here or something going on? Amen. Verse 15, let's start. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. This is the Apostle Paul giving some challenges to his young and up and coming ministry here, Timothy, and he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymnimeus Hem- 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 and Philidus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they have overthrown the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation... Of God stands having this seal. When the Bible uses the word seal, he's talking about something that is a mark upon your life. How many of you have the mark of God on your life? Well, that's a seal. That's a guarantee is what it's saying. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. The word depart there in the Greek is an interesting word. It means to instigate a revolt. It means to instigate a revolt. To depart by instigating a revolt from iniquity or sin. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver. And as we're speaking there, he's talking about gold and silver precious metals that are deep. In the earth, gold and silver, something that has depth, but also of wood, clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will become or be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work, flee also, youthful lusts, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, for those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Can you say amen? amen. The Apostle Paul is making a distinction here, and he, he really tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, in a great house there are vessels of gold and honor. And he's talking about honor. How many of you know that God, first of all, all honor comes from God? God is a God of honor. God lives. He exists in an atmosphere, in an environment of honor. God Himself is the one who is honor. He gives honor. Jesus Christ Himself, when He came and brought the message of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, do you know, was a message of honor. He was inviting us who were destitute when we were separated from sin. And by the way, do you know that sin is what perpetuates dishonor? Now the reason why today, it's amazing, we live in a society today that seems to elevate things that are dishonorable. You turn on television, you watch any kind of television for any length of time, it seems like people who lie... People who cheat, uh, commit adultery, this this kind of, these dishonorable kind of things seems to be elevated today. If you watch any kind of sitcoms on television, you'll notice that it's popular for children to dishonor their parents, to rebel against their parents, to talk back. We live in a society because of sin that has come to accept dishonorable behavior. When you live in a world of dishonor, you tend to be pessimistic and you tend to you feel alienated from what is healthy. And God, through his word and through the message of the kingdom, is a God who comes to perpetuate and to promote an environment of honor. And here he says here that we are to be diligent in verse 15. To present yourself approved unto God. Now, some of you may as well say, well, Pastor Ray, I thought we were already blessed and approved and chosen and holy. We are redemptively. We've already been redeemed and made approved of God through the righteousness of Christ, through the blood. But there's my responsibility. There's my responsibility. That I am to be a steward of my temple. Amen. How many of you believe we need to be stewards of our lives? You know, it's not just me coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for dying from my sins and washing me. But the Apostle Paul here says that in a great house, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Uh, On this pulpit up here, there's a gorgeous vase. This is a vessel. Now, this vessel is created, made by some artist or someone who made this and they made this vessel to be seen to be admired but also especially to put beautiful flowers And not that look nice by the way now aren't you glad that I didn't, we didn't come in and put a 50 gallon garbage can up here with flowers in it you would say boy somebody in your church does not know what belongs where If I put a garbage can up here and I'd put garbage in it, you'd say, why in the world would you put a garbage can up in a place where you you want to uh, visually see something? It, It beautifies the room. Well, Jesus Christ created all of you to be vessels of honor. Do you know that? You were created in God's image. But when sin came in, to the universe, back in Genesis 3, when Adam began to believe a lie, and Eve began to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they become critics, and they become cynical, and they begin to taste of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says that they discovered they were naked. And when they discovered their nakedness and their shame, the first thing that Adam did was run. He ran from the presence of the Lord, just like a lot of people do today. Do you know what? When when you don't know God, are we all, because we're created in God's image, we do not feel at home in the presence of God. Now, I'm going to make a, a kind of a bold statement here, but if you are not at home in God's presence, in God's house, if it's not home to you chances are you may not be born again because you see when you're born again one of the first things that there's a witness there's a seal inside of you is that you're born into the family of God and one of the things about a true born again Christian is he wants she wants to be around brothers and sisters that's the mark of a believer is that I feel home here There is something about this house or God's presence it's not the building but it's being around God's people because there's a koinonia there's a fellowship there's a unity when you've been born again washed in the blood of the lamb the first thing that you experience is a cleansing you're washed and he begins to beautify you the bible says in Isaiah 61 that he gives you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the, the garment of praise for the Spirit of heaven. There's a huge exchange that takes place. And that's called the grace of God. Because of the grace of God, He, he beautifies you. And the Bible says that you become His workmanship. And the Bible says that throughout the ages of eternity, He's going to use your life. And He's going to display you throughout all eternity as a work of His grace, as a work of beauty. In other words, a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor. You were created for honor. You were created for beauty. You were not created for sin. You're not created to be a liar. You're not created to be a pervert. You're not created to be an adulterer. You're not created to be a cheat. You're not created to be full of hatred and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. You were not created. You're created in the very image of God to be put on display for all the world to say, this, when God looks at you, people say, wow, look at that. There is a work of the beauty of the Lord look what God does he really makes beautiful people he makes beautiful marriages he makes beautiful families with beautiful children he makes beautiful wonderful awesome people and the Bible even says that he sets you like a light on a hill not to be hid And he sets you like a light on a hill for the whole world to say wow Look at this glorious, wonderful, beautiful workmanship of God's grace. A vessel of honor. You're not some kind of a has-been. You're not some kind of a mistake. You're not just trying to get there. He's already beautified you. Now, now when it comes to understanding God's grace, I want to kind of do another physical uh, visual this morning. I, I want you to right now just understand i'm i'm standing on the lower floor of this building in here i'm on this concrete floor down here and this this floor just for the sake of visual metaphor here this this floor here represents people who don't know the lord down here on the bottom represents what we think and visualize and mentally think about we we, we visualize ourselves as away from God, separated by sin, we're on the bottom. When God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, the law becomes like these stair steps. And when the law came, the Bible says in Galatians 2, that says that when the law came, the law made transgression alive and real. And what, what, what when the law came, the Bible says that the law strengthens sin because we all, by, are by nature, because we're separated from God, when the law came, the law strengthened sin in that it began to work a work in us where we begin, because of shame, because of separation, we begin to try harder. We begin to work. We would take the Bible and we would use the Bible against us. And when people take the law of God, and so they would start, when they realized they were in sin, they would, they would take certain steps. You know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. I'm going to start going to church on Sunday. Hallelujah. I'm going to start reading my Bible a lot more. I'm going to start obeying better. I'm going to start cleaning up my act. Stop sinning. I'm going to start going to bad movies. to so Stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to separate. I'm going to start climbing the ladder of dead works until I get to the top where I've now arrived in that place of righteous holiness before God unfortunately that's not the way it works you see here's what Jesus did when Jesus died on the cross the Bible says because God who is rich in his mercy because of the great love wherewith he loved us he has raised us and seated us together already in heavenly places In other words, we avoid the steps. We bypass all of the self effort and the works. And we are seated with Christ. Notice it says seated. That means we are not laboring to enter in. We are at a place where we have entered. Hebrews 4 says we have entered into his rest. We no longer labor. We're no longer trying. Oh man, I know I'm down here. I'm, I'm on the bottom. I'm going to start going to church. Man, I'm going to really try to get myself. I'm going to really try to get up to the top where I know I need to be for the kingdom of God. And when I get there and when I finally overcome every bad habit, nasty habit, all my sins and bad attitudes, then I'm a vessel of honor. No, you're not. So you might as well just stop trying. And start being a vessel of honor. you got to stop. Well, Pastor Ray, that, that's just too simple. That's just, that's just too, too crazy simple. I mean, i got to put some effort into this. Well, no, Jesus said, if my sheep hear my voice, they follow me. Now, you see, one of the things that makes this a vessel of honor is by what we put in the vessel. Now, you know the vessel here, it's gorgeous as it is, but can you imagine if I took all these flowers out and I started dumping toilet paper in here or garbage or Coca-Cola cans or plastic water bottles, you'd say, Where are you? you're, you're, you're abusing the vessel. You're not using the vessel for what it was created for. This vessel was not made for garbage. It was made for beauty. But see, that was the lie that Satan planted in Adam and Eve clear back in the Garden of Eden even though we were created in the image of God Satan deceived us into thinking that we are trash cans do you know why people sin today because they believe the lie that Satan has told them that you are a trash can and so guess what you begin to put trash in your vessel, you begin to watch the wrong things, you begin to feed the on wrong, the wrong things, you begin to think the wrong things. And you see, the vessel is determined by what you put in the vessel. And if you put, you know, even though this is very beautiful on the outside, it can really stink if you put the wrong stuff in it. So what Jesus did is Jesus died on the cross he washed you and he cleansed you and then he you know i love the flowers here because you know the the bible talks about that the holy spirit comes to bring fruit and the fruit of the holy spirit it comes to beautify your life with fruit love joy and peace and then when when we begin to yield and we begin to honor god in our bodies By realizing, first of all, I'm a vessel of honor. He's raised me seated with Him. I'm seated with Him in in heavenly places. I'm already righteous, already made holy, and I'm a person who's made in the image of God. And all of a sudden, you begin to feel at home with why and what you were really created for. You were not created for sin. And you know what? When when a person is so filled with sin, the enemy begins to play uh, tricks on your mind. Begins to make you think, you know what? If if everybody only knows what you do, if everybody only knows who you really are, oh, they would just, they would kick you out of the church. That's amazing how people think like this. By the way, I've had people come to New Life. I had a, a lady several years ago. From the new life she says pastor I came to your church on Sunday morning and I sat here for 17 times she came 17 Sundays and sat in the parking lot because she didn't feel worthy to come into church and I said why did you keep believing that lie well I didn't know the truth I didn't know what the truth was about God's grace I didn't know the truth that I was a vessel of honor created in his image you see i had been believing a lie and i have been embracing the garbage that the devil was feeding in my mind all these years and even though people would say i was forgiven washed made the righteousness of god in christ standing before god as a holy god i still felt like i had garbage on the inside now, how many of you know that in order for us to renew our minds in order for us to really walk as champions that God intended for you to be, I've got to learn to present my body and I've got to learn to yield my mind to the washing of the water of the Word. You were created in the image of God to be vessels of honor. Can you say amen? Now, this, this is important. In other words, He's already raised you from the bottom step to the top step and he's clothed you with his righteousness can you say amen? amen now i need to move on i want you to go with me into the book of jude jude is the half brother of jesus this is the second to the last book in the new testament i want you to follow with me we're going to be looking at this subject of grapes are you following me this morning praise god really pray you do this morning because honor is connected with grace. you got to understand the grace of God. Grace means divine ability. Grace is where we become empowered to live beyond and live above and live what we could not do in our own strength. We need the grace of God. And one of the most difficult things for human nature is to let go and let God be God in our life. Now, in the book of Jude, there's a warning that's going out. This book was probably written near the end of the first century. And many of the apostles, some of them have been killed already. But Jude, one of the half-brothers of Jesus, the brother of James, he writes and he gives a warning to the churches because of a particular doctrine, because of certain things that were floating around. And this is dangerous. And by the way, I want to say this. In America, there's some changes that are happening in our nation. There's some things that are happening and we need to be very careful on what we hear. We need to be careful. We need to do what Paul said in 2 Timothy. We need to be diligent to to seek, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, but rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you know that every Christian, if you're a Christian, All of you are to be students of the Word. All of you are to be a student of the Word of God. It's not just for Bible college kids. It's not for ministers. If you're a believer, God has called you to be a student of the Word of God. Because if you do not read your Bible, you cannot feed your faith. And if you don't feed your faith, you become susceptible and vulnerable to the lies of the enemy I cannot be a priest in my home I can't be a leader I can't be a man who learns and understands discernment without the Word of God I need my Bible do you know the Bible is a powerful book it's not just a book of wisdom and proverbs and stories it is the living Word of God when you read the Bible that bible brings life it brings power it literally creates something out of nothing but when you read the bible you've got to read it with faith you can't just read the bible like a reader's digest and, and, and one of the things i tell people in america you can't read the bible like an american how many of you know jesus christ was not an american he doesn't think like an American. I know that's kind of difficult for us because we are living in a republic and when we read, we kind of discern and we discriminate. We, we, we become critics and we become cynical and we say, well, I, I like that, but I don't like that. And, uh, you know, I have an opinion. Well, if you're a born-again believer in the kingdom of God, the only opinion that matters is God's and so in the kingdom of God when Jesus becomes Lord of all and there's another term Lordship we don't ever we don't use the term Lord it's not it's not in our vocabulary because we don't live in a kingdom in America we live in a republic it's a it's a it's a government by the people of the people for the people and and so when we come to the kingdom there, there has to be a massive paradigm shift when it comes to a kingdom theology because in the kingdom, only the king's word stands, not yours. That, that, that's, that's why Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way. And it's only a few that find it. Because he said this, the gospel is offensive. I don't know about you, but I've I realized that in order for God to bring the expanded kingdom into my life, He's got to expand my little box thinking. He's got, he, God wants to put me inside of something that's much bigger than what I could comprehend. God wants to put my life into something. He wants me to begin to think in a realm of honor, in a kingdom of honor. He wants me to understand the power of who He is so He can, uh, so he can put the same power in me. He wants your life to be glorified. He wants your life to be filled with honor because it's your life that's going to touch and affect a dying world. And so here in the book of Jude, Jude begins to address a problem that's going on because of Gnostics and because of false teaching. I'm going to start in verse 3, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. That word contend means to really give yourself. It means to not be casual. How many of you know there's no such thing as a casual Christian? He said to contend. Everyone say contend. I mean, this, this really means to persevere. Man, and when I, I was watching Tiger Woods yesterday when he was playing golf. Man, that, that guy is so focused. He's contending. Man, I wish Christians had the same kind of faith like that, where we contend. We're going to pursue. He said this, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed for long ago, were marked out for this condemnation. This was before time, he's even saying ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word there, lewdness, means to cheapen or abuse it or to seek to compromise its full meaning. They will seek to turn the grace of God into something cheap. How many of you know when Jesus died on the cross, That was not a casual thing. He died because He gave us all, because He loved us. And when He died for us, He not only forgave us, but the grace of God separated us, made us holy, blessed us, seated us with Him in heavenly places, and then He calls us holy. We're no longer seeking to struggle for that place of approval. He's already approved of us. But here, the apostle, here Jude says that there are those that will come in and cheapen the grace. In other words, they will try to get you to accept a much secondary, a much much lower approach to the gospel. I want you to jump over with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I want you to see what Jesus did while He was on earth. I want you to see this passage here in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 20. You know when Jesus came, Jesus came and He came preaching the gospel and He did signs and wonders. And the Bible says that He did those signs and wonders that you might marvel, that you might know the Father, the fullness of His glory. In that fact, He even told His own disciples, He says, I indeed baptize you with power that you might also extend that same glory to the world. God intends for your life to increase and abound in every level. He really does. But here Jesus comes into these different cities, and he's doing signs and wonders, raising the dead, healing the sick, and he's bringing honor. He's honoring people by healing them, delivering them, restoring them, feeding the 5,000 ministry, bringing a message of honor of the kingdom. But then in verse 20, chapter 11, Jesus comes back through those cities and it says, and He began to rebuke the cities in which most of His mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Everyone say, repent they did not repent woe to you Chorazdan, woe to you Bethsaida, these are cities for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these were Old Testament cities under the old covenant, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, but I say unto you it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you and you Capernaum who are exalted to heaven this was a very industrious city God came, brought revival, it will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now Jesus is saying that when I came into your cities, I brought revival. I healed you. Brought you the good news. I brought you a message of honor, but you did not repent. Now, the word repent here really means to change the way you think. In other words, I wanted you to line up with this honorable way of living. I wanted you to continue on what I started. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus came in, he started the ball rolling. He came. To present the gospel and let everybody know you're vessels of honor. I've come to let you know that you're a, you're you're my people, and I come to bring a gospel of increase, a gospel of power, a gospel of glory, a gospel of healing and life. But it says they didn't repent. In other words, they backslid. In other words, they went back to their old ways of thinking. How many of you know it's possible to just? get touched by God and be blessed by God and it's easy for us to regress back to that unbelief and back to fear and back to negative thinking and just kind of succumb to that lower way of living and living and expecting and all of a sudden we're under doubt and we feel separated from God's presence and we don't feel God's answer in our prayers anymore it's because we haven't repented in other words what he's talking about this kind of repentance is to continue on what he started. What was he what did he start? He came to bring a gospel of life, power and authority and he wants you to continue in that. He didn't say I'm I'm coming back to re, uh, rebuke you so that you just try harder. So, you clean up your act and stop sinning. No, I want you to continue in the glory that I brought to you. It's not by works of righteousness, it's by His grace that we're saved. Amen. Jump back with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. I want to take you back into an Old Testament story that really defines. The subject of grace and how grace works together with honor. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah was a prophet during the days of Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Jerusalem. And for the sake of a little bit of foundation, I, I need to let you know this that Zechariah was a prophet who was prophesying to the refugees, about 50,000 of the Israelites under King Cyrus. And if you remember the the story in the Old Testament, God's people were judged because for 490 years, even though God called Israel and He put a crown upon that city Jerusalem, and He 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 said about Israel, He says that uh, you're my people, in whom I've made a covenant with. I've called you out of Egypt, and Even before you were a people, I gave you my mercy. And I called you out and I separated you from myself. And I called you and I put my laws in your your heart. I gave you a covenant promise to make you the head not the tail. And all these powerful promises. But God said to Israel back in Deuteronomy 6, He said, though I'm calling you out, He says, the one thing I want you to remember is that you are my special people. You're my treasure." And he says, one thing that I've called you to be is I've called you even then to be light. I've called you to be a witness to the world of what can happen to a nation who truly fears the Lord. But what happened was, is that in Judges chapter 3, you'll find that when Joshua came out and the Bible says there was another generation who followed in the steps of Moses or Joshua and it says they did not know the Lord in other words this is what happened listen to me the parents came out died in the wilderness because I'm unbelief Hebrews 3 but then Joshua took the children in and they begin to conquer parts of Canaan land but while the parents listen to me parents listen to me really well this is in Judges 3 while the parents were going to church going into battle they left the children home the Bible says there was raised another generation that did not know the Lord because the parents did not pass down to the next generation the ways of God the power of God the life of God the goodness of God the Bible says that generation these were the grandchildren of the first generation that died in the wilderness. It says they didn't know the Lord. And if you go back into Judges chapter three, it says that the people of the land discouraged the people of Israel and they succumbed to idolatry and to pagan worship. And the Bible says, Therefore God delivered his own people over into the hand of his enemy. And it goes, and you if you read the book of Judges, it's a, it's, a, it's a story like a yo-yo God would send a judge. They would repent, call on God. God would deliver them, bring them into prosperity and healing and heal their land. Then 7 years, 10 years, 20 years would go by. They would forget the Lord. They'd go back into idolatry. They would go back into anger. They'd go back into pagan worship. Then God would raise up the Assyrians or the Samaritans or other pagan nations. And the Bible says that the Lord would allow judgment to come upon His own people. So they would come back to a place of repentance again. It was a through the book of Judges. The priesthood. God had called the entire nation to be a company of priests that was to demonstrate God's glory and power and purpose to the other nations of the earth. He said, you are my people that are to represent me in the earth. But the priesthood became defiled. The priesthood. Become no different than the people of the land. How many of you know it's possible? You know, I, I got to tell you something. I, I just, just broke my heart. My wife and I ran into a, a father and a mother. A father, I should say. We were in a McDonald's restaurant just a couple of weeks ago and ran into a, a man that used to attend New Life years ago. And uh, just said, "How you doing?" Things, you know, they they used to come and they moved on for whatever reason they moved on. But when they used to come here, their family was intact. Things were going well. And when we talked to this guy, talked to how his family just just amazed. It it just broke my heart to hear what just happened to his entire family. How the enemy just came in and just devastated his family. Just destroyed the marriage. Destroyed his kids. None of his kids are serving the Lord today. Uh, Folks, that shouldn't be. I don't know about you, but does it bother you when you don't see young people that should be serving God, serving God? Does that affect you? I don't know about you, but I don't want to see our kids addicted to pot. I don't think our kids ought to be going to strip clubs. I don't believe our kids ought to be messed up with addictions and hooked up with MTV and just swapping part. I don't know about you, but there, somebody, something's got to happen in the church where somebody stands up and says enough is enough. God has called us to be vessels. I'm not talking about coming with some hammer and bringing condemnation and, and putting people out. In no way am I suggesting that. By the way, that never works. But we do need to raise up the banner and let people know that God has a better way. We need fathers to be leaders. We need men in the house with backbone that are not ashamed of the gospel. We need mothers and fathers to stand together and say, as for me and my house, we're going to pray and seek the Lord. We're going to pray about it. We're bringing prayer back into the house. We're bringing the kingdom back. We're vessels of honor. We're not vessels. We're not just going to be taken and blown about by every wind of doctrine and all the scus of culture out here. We are a people that represent God's glory and fullness and power in the earth. And we need people with backbone. And, and, and what, what, what saddens me is we got preachers coming across the pulpits and they're, oh I don't, want to, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to come. I, I just want to preach a little poem and points and send you on your way and make you feel all happy well no there's plenty of churches you can find them out there but if you come to new life we're gonna preach the way we're gonna preach the righteousness of God we're gonna preach the kingdom of God is at hand and we need to repent we need to understand that he's called us to be vessels of honor and in this passage Joshua the high priest in zechariah he gets a vision from the Lord and now keep in mind a high priest would be like what I am in the New Testament but in the Old Testament high priests had to wear garments of white they also wore the uh, uh, they, they had the uh, breastplate and they had these the linen girdle what had to do with purity and holiness all these external garments of righteousness covering their nakedness they had the the, the, the linen ephod and the, the turban that covered their head, which spoke, and on, on the turban it would say, Holiness unto the Lord, which represented the mind of Christ. And, and so when the priest would come out in the Old Testament and stand before the Lord, he would not only intercede and pray on behalf of the people for the atonement and, and for remission of sins or sacrifice, but he was also a teaching priest. He would teach before the people. But the Bible in this passage says that Zechariah, the prophet, has a vision and he sees Joshua the priest and he's defiled. He's contaminated. It's like a lot of preachers today. They're defiled. They're unclean. They haven't come out and separated themselves. But here it says here. Then he showed me Joshua with the high priest stand before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Can you say amen? God comes to pluck you out of the fire today. And even though Satan is there to oppose you, God's grace says, I have chosen you. Even though... He is defiled. Verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. What we have here is the grace of God being demonstrated under a new old covenant. God removing the filthy garments. How many of you know that's what Jesus did for you? He removed your filthy garments even though Satan stands and opposes you. The Bible says, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. For the Lord removes the garments and the Lord says to Joshua, I have removed your iniquity and I have clothed you with rich robes and said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. In other words, God had taken his sin and iniquity and made him a vessel of honor. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? That's what He does for us. But now, read on. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua. Everyone say, admonished. Saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in My ways, and if you will keep My commands, then you shall judge My house and likewise charge My courts. And I will give you a place to walk among these who stand here. Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. And behold, I am bringing forth My servant, the branch. That's the Lord. This is a prophetic... Message concerning concerning the coming Messiah, and the Lord begins to tell him that what I'm doing here today is going to be a sign of what I'm going to do for all my company of priests when he when the Lord Himself comes. The Lord is saying here is this I have removed your iniquity, I've changed your filthy garments, but now I require for you to walk before me. How many of you know the Lord's asking us to make sure? That we walk before ourselves, but before the Lord it, with an honorable way. Grace is what He has done for me, but also grace recognizes the responsibility that i'm not going to put trash in my vessel. I 'm going to keep the trash out of my vessel. I 'm going to guard my eyes. Jump over with me in your Bible, back to Romans. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. In a few minutes I'm closing here. Romans chapter 5. Notice what it says. Or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4. Because here is how grace comes. Verse 13. For the promise that, would be that Abraham would be the heir to the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law Our heirs, faith is made void and the promise have made no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but all those to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of Saul. Can you say amen? In other words, grace comes by the promise doesn't come by the law God has come to give us a promise this morning he's come to give us a promise that we are new creatures in Christ notice chapter 5 verse 1 therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and not only that but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us all. Jump over with me into Titus. Just reading some of these scriptures, really important. Titus chapter 2. Notice what it says. Titus chapter 2, 11. For the grace... Of God that brings salvation has appeared to all notice what it says about grace it comes through a promise but it says grace teaches everyone say teaches it says grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that, we might, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. Can we go to the overhead here? And I don't have my blinker here, Jerry, if you go. There's five things I want to tell you in closing what grace does. Grace tells us that we're totally accepted by God through our faith in Jesus Christ. That means that before you even start, you're already made a winner. He already makes you a winner before you even start. You're justified by faith through grace. in Wherein we stand. He's made you accepted by grace. Number two. Grace teaches us that Jesus wants you for His own very possession and you are His own special treasure. When He created you a vessel of honor, He calls you His special people and a very special treasure. That means that I now belong to Him. That means that I from now on need to ask Him, Lord, are these things okay that I'm bringing into my vessel? I need to ask the Lord, He redeemed me. That means He bought me number three grace has appeared instructing us to say no to sin and yes to holy living i want everybody to say this with us grace has appeared instructing us to say no to sin and yes to holy living praise god you can live holy it's not about being weird or religious and not about buns in the hair and no makeup and all that Living holy simply means that, Lord, I am just committed to doing your will. Lord, I'm going to guard what comes in my heart. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I need to turn the TV off. Sometimes we need to turn the jokes off. Sometimes we need to separate ourselves from people who pull us down. I need to learn to say no. By the way, there's been times in my life where I've lost friends because I will not participate in their activity. I'm not saying here that I'm better than they are. Not at all. I want to win them. But I will not allow my life to live live or associate or open myself to fellowship to people who don't want to serve God. Now, I I do believe I need to be a light and salt in the earth and witness, and I can be a friend to sinner, but I will not fellowship and participate in their lifestyle. Amen? I need to say no to sin. And parents, we need to teach our children how to say no to sin. And how to say yes to God. We need to make serving God fun. You know, sometimes if your kids have a hard time coming to church on Sunday, maybe you ought to start on Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday. That's what my wife and I used to do. We'd say, guess what? Only two more days! Till church on Sunday! Really? Yeah! Yeah! only one more day that we get to go to the house of god really yeah i mean sometimes I'm, i want to tell you for people to come to church on sunday morning is like world war ii for some of you like you know man what do we gotta go to church today oh, i don't want to i don't want to go my dress is i'm my shirt dirty i'm oh, i'm not gonna go i'll never forget this one time no kidding true story there's a couple coming to church and my wife and i were discipling this couple and they were coming to church. And it, over here in Garland, there was a railroad train that came. And, it, and the, the train gates were down. And so they decided to go back home because the train was there. And I called them up. I said, boy, you need to be in the house. Law, but pastor. We couldn't come because the train came. I said, well, wait for the train and get here. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but it, it's almost like I'm going to look for some reason not to come. And if I have, have a bump, oh, I'm going to go home. Can't go to church. But by God, we'll make it to the Dallas Cowboy football game. By God, we'll make it to what we want to do. But for some reason, if there's a bump in there, oh, I can't go to church. Can't go to church. Can't go. The weather's, it's raining. I got a soft sprinkle. Can't go. It's sad. Man alive, folks. We need to understand priorities here. I, 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 Man, I don't know about you, but how many of you recognize that we're living in changing times right now? Things are changing in America. Not just in our economy, but in the way life, uh, our, our values are changing. Things are really getting weird. And if you don't know the Lord, you're going to be sucked in the toilet of the, what's going on here. I mean, it, it takes some diligence here to be a leader in your home. Number four, grace teaches us about the terrible price that was paid for our salvation. Jesus gave himself he gave himself to the wrath of God so that we would not experience that wrath. That was a terrible price so we could live eternal eternity with him. He gave us redemption. Number 5. Grace teaches us that he wants us red hot. Everyone say red hot. The Bible says in verse 14, they're zealous for good deeds. I thought it was interesting. It means red hot. God wants us red hot for good deeds. Everybody that's a member in the body of Christ has a place to serve. There's no such thing as an insignificant, inactive member. Someday we're all going to stand before the judgment seat and God's going to say, what did you do with the time and the talents I gave you? Oh, oh God. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, God, I'm not worthy. Man, I, I don't have gifts. I can't sing, can't preach, can't sing. I can't do anything. I can't do I anything. Mean, Lord, I just sat back and I buried my gift and let everybody else do it. Because I, I, I didn't want to screw it up, so I didn't do nothing. That's not going to work for you. God has given all of us time, talents, treasures, and abilities, and he's going to ask you, what did you do with it? Oh, pastor, now you're putting guilt on me. No, no, no guilt. It's a fact. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life. That's the Bible. Number six. Grace opens our eyes to the reality of this world that is passing away and of the hope for all who look for His glorious appearing. That's what grace does. Can you say amen? Let's stand to our feet.